Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 23, Psalm 23. And as we're turning our Bibles to Psalm 23, I want to read question 27 and question 28 from Lord's Day in the Heidelberg, Lord's Day 10 in the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, what do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us not by chance but from his fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they can neither move nor be move. That's from the catechism. This comes from many different texts of Scripture that we probably would not have the time to, to mine uh, this, this evening, but a glorious ending there. Um, they can neither, neither move nor be moved. And kids, that even means that little chestnut and the little radical coming out and looking to grow in the soil. Well, with our Bibles open to Psalm 23, which is a psalm that speaks about God's providence. And actually, if you hear David singing this or writing this and, of course, singing this psalm, you will see the providential hand in his life in the past, in, in the present, and for the future. Just like question and answer 28 lays out for us uh, tonight. So let's go to God's Word in Psalm 23, a wonderfully familiar psalm, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word opened up before us, and we ask that you, O oh Holy Spirit, would teach us and lead us into all truth as you see fit in, the, in our lives tonight. Hear our prayers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, King David was, as all of us know, or most of us know, was a shepherd boy. He was, in many ways, the wild child of Jesse. He was the one that was a bit on the rough side because even when he brought his sons together so that Samuel would select 
well, who might be the next king? Which son did he not invite? Our guy right here, David. David appears to be a fleet of foot, a man that was able, or a boy that was able to stay in the wilderness for prolonged periods of time and had killed both bear and lion. He was quite the warrior. And of course, Jesse's thought, there's no way he's that important, which I don't understand why that would be, but that's what Jesse's decision was, his, his father. But he would have spent much time in the fields under the stars at night. And so many of his psalms reference actually constellations in the skies, the stars, and so much about God's creation as he slept under the sky in, in Israel. And undoubtedly, he would have gone through those deep valleys that we see, those wadis that you will find throughout the desert region of the Judean wilderness, which he would have taken the sheep into. This could be a very dangerous place filled with all kinds of threats towards both life and limb and sheep because bandits and various predators would have existed in these dark places. And you see that here in Psalm 23, don't you? You see it through a shepherd's, a shepherd boy's eyes that he leads us, right? He, takes, he, he makes us lie in green pastures and, he, and quiet waters and restores our soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me as they comfort the sheep as they go through those dark places. And if you've been in the desert, you know that the shadows of the wadis become darker as evening sets, and they become a very different place than they were in the middle of the day. But I do think that is that perspective. He is wandering in the Judean wilderness, or at least his mind and his imagination, and he's saying to his own soul, singing to his own soul, do you see how God has provided for me? You see how wonderful it is? He's my shepherd. My shepherd. Now, now listen to the language in verse 2. He makes. This is providential language of God's provision, isn't it? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I love that language. It's He does this. He, the living God, my shepherd, He provides for me. And then He goes on, as you see in the second half, verses five, 4 through 6, He goes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, my good shepherd, are with me. You're with me. You're protecting me. You're providing for me. And then you see that again in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And by the time he gets to the last verse, his heart is brimming with confidence in God, isn't it? His heart is brimming with delight in God's provision of him and of his life, and that's why he can say, surely goodness and mercy, or the word is chesed, or steadfast love, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And why can he have that confidence? 
Why can't he have that confidence? Why can David have that confidence that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And he can sing it now. Well, because God is a provider, isn't he? He's a promise maker, and he provides to make those promises come to, to be. Always caring for his people. People like you, not just David, right? For Like you and, and me. And of course, that's why I believe this psalm is such a wondrous delight for the souls of the saints for the last 3,000 years. Yeah, that's right. This song is 3,000 years old. And yet we still sing it. And yet this little boy that grew up in the wilderness shepherding his father's sheep, this same song is still echoing in our minds and imaginations and in your memory because as I was reading, you weren't just reading, were you? you were remembering, weren't you? It reverberates in our own souls. It reverberates actually in all of Western society in many, many different languages. The Lord is my shepherd. My Father cares for me and for my needs. Like kids, just like those little chestnuts. They're insignificant, aren't they? But doesn't God care for the sparrow? Didn't Jesus say that? Of course he does. How much more will he not care for you? How much more will he not meet your needs? Oh, I need to hear that all the time because are you good at complaining? Are you good at seeing the problem? I know you don't want to raise your hand, but you should because you are. But here, my father cares for my needs. That's what David says. Or David says again in Psalm 34, 7, the angels of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Even supernatural forces provide for us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You hear how David is saying, taste and see. Oh, I want you to trust in my good shepherd too. Taste and see. Taste and see that he is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He's a God who provides, doesn't he? And why does he provide? Because he rules the creation. The creation has no existence without him speaking it into existence and without him sustaining it. That's meant to encourage us. That's actually meant to excite us and, and to embolden us as we go about life. And here I love the psalmist says this in Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you. He's speaking of the Lord, of Yahweh. And you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Isn't that the song we ought to sing to ourselves? When we feel a lack of a lack in our lives, or a lack in the, in the checkbook? Does not God give good things? Does he not open up his hands to all of creation? And the sparrows and the chestnuts? And you, how much more important you, are you than they? He cares for us. Oh, how this song needs to be upon our lips and in our minds and upon our imaginations. But my Father, our Father, also revives our souls. You hear him say that, don't you? He restores my soul, or you could say revives my soul. 
Now, David had reflected on this previously in Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. He's speaking there of God's Word. Why would God's Word revive his soul? What does the Word speak of? It speaks of his providential provision. It speaks of his promises and his faithfulness to all of those promises. And, of course, that would revive our souls. Or it ought to. Right? It ought to. There, there's a, a text at the end of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a, a wonderful little book in the Bible. But it's at the end when the women of the village of Bethlehem are singing. And you can see Naomi is there and full of delight because she's holding little Obed in her arms. And this is what they were singing in Ruth Chapter 4, verse 15, and he will renew or revive your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. You know, Ruth is one of those blessed providences of the living God. He wrote her into the story, didn't he? She is the heroine of the story. She is the one who says, your God will be my God, your people, my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. But that's all part of God's providence because the whole story is about God's providence in supplying the needs of a woman named Naomi who thought her she should be called Mara, which means bitter, but her name actually meant pleasant. And God met her with his provision through a woman that no one would expect. So we better be careful not to limit God's providence in your life. Because could you imagine a Moabite young lady from a pagan nation is the one that shows the grandest, greatest faith in the living God of Israel in the entire story and is used by God to bring, well, pleasantness and joy back to a grieving widow's heart who had lost not only her husband, but her two sons, and was destitute. That's a story that revives the soul, doesn't it? David speaks of that, how often he had been revived by God, how God had provided for his soul in the dry, parched places of life. Anybody been there in the Mara moments, the bitterness? David knows what that's like, but he also knows God met him there, revived his soul, and that his Father guides him in life's path like he guides you and I. Do you believe that today, tonight, that God leads and guides you? That he cares for you along life's way? Do you believe that he's working all things together for good, for you who love him and have been called according to his purpose? Do you believe that? Amen! We ought to roar that from the pew. I believe it. Because my God provides for me. He's provided for his people for thousands and thousands of years. Even in their messes, in their rebellions, in their illnesses, in their exiles, in their imprisonments. He has provided. He has guided his people through all of that. And especially through those valleys 
like the dark wadis in the evening of the Judean wilderness. Even there, David can say, my God, my, 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 my Adonai, my Father assures me, even in the valley of the shadow. There's a, there's a moment in Paul's life. He's in the city of Corinth, which is not a good place to be. It is sin city, right? It is sin city. And there he's ministering. He is discouraged. And in the night, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to him speaks to him in a vision and says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the Word of God. Now, granted, this is God's special revelation, isn't it? To the apostle Paul. But in this special revelation, what is God saying? It's my city! It's my city. And I have many people in this city that you are going to call through the preaching of the gospel to believe. Why? Because he's the provider and he is the one also that controls history. And that's why you ought to be confident because I have people in this city. No one will harm you because I am the God that provides for you and I will provide security for you. We have to believe that. Even in death, we have to believe that. Do you believe that? Paul did, didn't he? For a year and a half, he ministered, and that ministry brought us a lot of fruit. We actually have two wonderful letters that teach us much about a messy church and how much God loves even the messiest churches, as we saw in, that, in those two glorious epistles. And lastly, my father, your father, our father has prepared a celebration. Looking at those last two verses, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You see the abundance, don't you? This wondrous abundance. Surely goodness and love, mercy, chesed, will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, it's got to be one of the sweetest, the sweetest endings to a song in all of human history. You know, Jesus said to his men in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, it was dark that night. They were in the valley of the shadow of death. There was oh so much uncertainty, and yet Jesus said this to them, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God. Trust also in me, in my Father's house. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I know you're anxious, but I'm going to prepare a place for you because I'm the provider. I am providing a place. Brothers, sisters, we have a place, don't we, awaiting us in heaven for the Lord Jesus Christ has died and risen and ascended into heaven. And we are his sheep because we heard his voice and we believed and we've been following. And there's this wonderful celebration 
The table is set. You, the feast is, is spread. We see that when we come to the book of Revelation. This wonderful feast, ready to be partaking in in the, in the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's almost as if this song comes to the end, seeking to elevate everyone, no matter their circumstance, no matter the valley. Can't you see heaven? Can't you see the glory of what is to come? Can't you see the world without end? Because every world in this life comes to an end. But can you see it? For David, it's the most real thing in the wilderness. And there is another song composed that probably will be sung at that feast. We find it in God's Word in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's sweet music, isn't it? Sweet music for sinners like you and I. That speaks of His redemption of His people. And so this psalm and, and the gospel itself, but the doctrine of providence is a doctrine to help us rest in the wilderness. Because you're in the wilderness. Some of you, there's a lot of uncertainty in your life, and you are living in the wilderness. You are living in the dark valleys with the shadow seeming to grow. But you see, God's provision in your life, His presence right now in your life, as Jesus said, I will not leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Isn't this to help you rest in the wilderness? To experience shalom, even though it hurts, even though your body hurts? Maybe even if your mind is failing? To rest in God's provision? To rest in God's promises? Because we're going to a wondrous end, aren't we? The story of God it's going to conclude in a wondrous celebration and party, and we're all going to be singing loudly and feasting and laughing. And this life is what? But a breath, and you're gone. We're all going to be gone soon, aren't we? But this world is forever. And I'm glad that God is the one that writes the story and not me and not empires. Praise be to God for His provision in everything. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your provision in our lives, both physical and spiritual, and that nothing happens to us by chance, but everything happens to us by Your fatherly hand. Even suffering has purpose. Even sadness has purpose. Even the things we cannot imagine how they could be purposeful has purpose. Because you're the provider. You're the sovereign. You're the one writing the story of all of history. And for us, the end of the story is beautiful and glorious. Oh, may your saints go out this, these doors ready for the new week with hope and courage to live for your glory each day. We pray this in the name of the wonderful provision 
of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.